This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn on this Mitch Marathon Month. And do you know what sounds better than that? Mitch Merch. That's right. It is available now at loudtracks, T-R-A-X dot com forward slash Mitch. And there you go. Gratuitous plug right at the top of the show. That, my friends, is what we call professional. That is, you don't get this high-quality stuff anywhere else, I have to say. Anyway, um, today's guest. And, um, well, you know what? I, I'm going to say this before today's guest. I saw Peter Frampton at the Montreal International Jazz Festival on Friday, July 5th. And just before the show begins... There is a audio recording, or maybe it's Peter Frampton himself, uh, but but it is Peter's voice. Comes on and says, "Hey fans, first three songs, take as many pictures as you want. Eat your heart out, you know. T- take a thousand pictures if you want, but after the first three songs, put the phones away, turn them off, and then just enjoy the moment." And and I have to say, I love that. Love it. It is a terrific, terrific compromise. You know, bands that come out and say, you're not allowed phones at our shows and we're going to make you leave them at the door and we're going to do this. And uh, Give me a break. I mean, get, get, get out of here, you know. Um, just, just go play your show. Now, on the other hand, fans that have to have 87 pictures of every song you know by the end of the night they've played 20 songs and they have you know 1600 pictures like calm the f- down all right so what peter frampton did brilliant he respects the audience's desire i guess for the lack of a better word to have a a, a souvenir or a memento or just a, you know capture a moment but then he says, hey, you know what? Give me a little respect back. I don't want to see cameras in my face all night. And in Montreal, on July 5th, at Place des Arts, the venue, the fans respected it. Holy. I mean, I, I, I can't think I saw... You know, at the end, 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 end of the show, uh, where he does While My Guitar Gently Weeps... Um, he said, uh, go ahead and film or, or some words to those effects. And so the phones came back out. But I don't recall having seen anybody from song four to song. And I think while my guitar was song 18, um, I don't think I saw anybody with a phone. So 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 kudos to uh, to Peter Frampton for being cool and kudos to the fans for saying, all right, we're going to do a little give and take here. We're going to take a little bit pictures, but we're going to give you the respect after. So, uh, bravo. Now, moving on from that, today's guest is a gentleman named Steve Overland. Now, if you're listening to me in the UK or maybe even Australia, you'll go, ah, okay, Steve, the singer for the band FM. Been around since the early 1980s. First album, Indiscreet, 1986, considered a melodic rock masterpiece. And this year, um, Tough It Out, which is their second album, which came out in 1989, is celebrating 30 years. So if you are in North America and you're not overly familiar with Steve Overland, 
do check out those uh, those two albums. But if you really, really want to check them out, their new album, Atomic Generation, which came out in 2018, brilliant. Just it. Now listen, it is it is AOR melodic rock. It, it's you know what right where it should be. Now the band has been uh, on and off. They they took a break for a few years and then decided to come back, and so they've been making this great music now. I first heard of Steve on a White Snake tribute album called Snake Bites, which uh, Cleopatra had put out, I guess, somewhere around 2000. Uh, Brian Pereira at uh, Cleopatra. And I have to say, Cleopatra has always been very cool to me. I remember one time they invited me to their warehouse, which I think was in Marina del Rey. Don't quote me, but I think that's where it was. And walked through the, the the warehouse and there was CDs all over the place and boxes of CDs and there was a guy there named Paul uh, he was a great guy by the way Paul and he said oh grab, grab whatever you want and it was great you know uh, I wasn't a schnerd you know I, I didn't I didn't walk away with 150 CDs because that would have been the dick move but I did walk away with like 15 or so or you know, 12 or 15. And I had picked up Snake Bites uh, as one of them. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm a huge Coverdale fan, huge Whitesnake fan. Got it home, put it on. And I heard the vocals and I went, oh, who the hell is this guy? And I looked it up and it was Steve Overland. Wow, this guy, he's got, a, he's got a voice of an angel. I mean, this guy sings great. Um, just absolutely great. I was like, whoa, dude, that is okay. I, I need to know who you are and I need to know what we're doing here. So, so I looked it up, I looked up FM and, and just anyway, great band doing great music. But, but this time I didn't get Steve on the phone to talk about FM, although we did, but we got on the, the, uh, the phone because he has a new band called Lone Rider with a new album out called Attitude. And I was sent this album uh, via, you know, digital stream or whatever. And, and I didn't really pay attention to who was playing on it. I just I happened to get the email and I just hit click and I started playing. And it was great. And I went, wow, what is this? Who is this? You know, what the hell is a lone rider? And I looked it up and then it said, Steve Overland of FM. I was like, ah, gotcha. And then, and then it said also, Featuring Chris Childs of Thunder. And I went, oh, all right. Now you're talking, you're talking Mitch language here. We got Thunder Guy on this. Uh, and, and by the way, FM and Thunder, I think, are bands that are very, very similar. You look at Danny Bowes, you look at Steve Overland, two guys sing like angels. I mean, Danny Bowes is, I mean, terrific. I don't even know if terrific's a good enough word for Danny Bowes. I mean, that guy's a brilliant vocalist. And both bands have had a chance to open up for Bon Jovi uh, over the years. Uh, Thunder opened up for Bon Jovi, who was, well, actually, Thunder opened up for Van Halen, who was opening up for Bon Jovi. Boom, ba -dun -dun -dun. Yeah, there you go. There's some info for you. In uh, 95, I guess it was, on the uh, These Days tour, they played Wembley uh, Stadium. And it was Thunder, Van Halen, and uh, Bon Jovi. So there you go. But FM, 
have opened for a lot of great bands, including Slash recently, like recently as in July 6th. And they've also opened for Foreigner, did, a, did a, some shows with Foreigner, but they opened for Bon Jovi, guess when? On the Slippery When Wet Tour, through, throughout, um, oh, and this is where my facts might, might catch up with me. It was either throughout Europe or just throughout the UK. Anyway, they, they, they were on this run with, with Bon Jovi opening up. So, you know, there was a thought back then that FM and Thunder should have been, could have been the next Bon Jovi's, the next Def Leppard's, the next whatever. And for whatever reason, both bands were just unable to break through the North American market. Just completely unable. And I guess, uh, and I guess you could talk to the bands and ask them how they feel about it. My understanding was just bad management, just managers and record companies not necessarily pushing in the right direction. Because listen, Queen, they broke North America. Def Leppard, they broke North America. Uh, so breaking North America was very, very doable. And if you're not breaking into the market, generally, generally, you can point your fingers at two things, record company or management or both. Rarely, rarely do you ever point your finger at the band. I mean, most, most bands, you know, if you said to Tigers of Pantang or, or, or FM or Thunder, hey, how would you like to go tour you know, 40 cities in North America. We're, we're going to give you all the tour support you need. We'll get you a nice big bus. And they'd be like, uh, yeah. Rarely would they go, nah, it's not for us. That, you know. But uh, there you go. And, and by the way, there's another band out there that have had great, great, great success. And you know what? There's a lot of bands that have had a lot of European success. But when they come to North America, it sort of falls apart. And... and you're going to argue with me on this one, but, you know, Thin Lizzy is a much big, much bigger European band than they ever were North American band. Now, did, did Thin Lizzy do better here than FM or, or Thunder? Probably, you know, um, I would think yes. Uh, status quo, you know, status quo they, if you remember, and, and the anniversary is coming up here, July 13th, 1985, open up Live Aid. They've celebrated, uh, what, what is it, 50 years, I think it is. And they can go tour Europe and, and, and the UK and, and sell big venues. I'm sorry, but if you bring status quo to Montreal, I don't know. Where do you put them? I mean, it's probably a bar show. And Thunder, which are doing three thousand seaters, three three to five thousand seaters in the UK, bring them to Montreal. Not, I'm not sure. Prob probably a small club of two hundred people, maybe. And and I don't know if Steve's going to listen to this to this part of the interview. If Steve Overland listens to this or anybody who's an FM fan, but. I would unfortunately have to argue that if they came to North America, it would be the same thing, which is tragic. I mean, it's tragic. Go go listen to Atomic Generation from 2018, and you tell me that that mother isn't a great album. 
you, go, go ahead. Go tell me that that's not a great album. And and the same goes for. By the way, the same goes for this new Lone Rider uh, attitude. And and before I forget, it features on drums Simon Kirk. And you're going, I've heard that name. Yeah, because he was in a, in a, in, a, in a little tiny band, little band had a little bit of success called Bad Company. So Steve Overland and I'm just going to say it this way, the guy from Bad Company and then the brilliant guy from Thunder or the brilliant band have put out an album together and it sounds great. So go back, look up FM Band. They are on on the streaming services, at least in North America, the, the Spotify's and the Apple Music. Go listen to Tough It Out. Go listen to Indiscreet. Go listen to Atomic Generation. And, and go listen to all, to all the other stuff that I'm not mentioning. Aphrodisiac, Taking It to the Streets, Metropolis, Rockville, Rockville 2. Um, you know, j- j- oh, and, and, and go listen to the, uh, the live album called The Italian Job. It is uh, streaming on Spotify. And you tell me that that's not a, a freaking amazing live performance. So, so anyway, listen, I have rattled on longer than I should rattle on. 14 minutes. Wow. Um, here is, without further ado, speaking about his new band, Lone Rider, and their new album, Attitude, which Andrew McNeese from MelodicRock.com who is an expert in all things melodic rock, has given it a 90% rating. He doesn't do 9 on 10. He, he gives 90%. So he, Andrew McNeese at Melodic Rock, and, and if you know anything about Melodic Rock, you know that that's the site to go to, and Andrew's ears are the, are the ears you need to trust. And they gave Lone Rider Attitude 90. I'm going to agree. It is definitely... In my world, a nine on ten. It, it is a great album. So, 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 do check it out. And uh, here is the one, uh, the only vocalist extraordinaire, Steve Overland. We are speaking with uh, singer Steve Overland. The new project is Lone Rider, which includes a Simon Kirk of Bad Company on drums, and and my favorite, Chris Childs of Thunder Taiketo. Now, I, I love me some Thunder. So, uh, Steve. Absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Oh, great! Great to speak to you, Mitch. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it's been a while t- trying to get this together, but we're there at last. So it's great to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're here. We're here. We are now. Now, uh, talk to me about this this project because uh, it got sent to me uh, as a promo, and I hadn't heard about it. And I put it on, and I went, "My lord, this is great! The vocals are fantastic. The musicianship is fantastic." And then I. I, I went back to the email and I said, "Who who the heck is this?" And I saw your name and I went, "Ah, well that explains the vocals." And then I saw Chris <laughs> Charles great. and I went, "Oh, thunder!" And then I went, "Whoa, bad con." So how did this band come together? And, and is this a a band or is this oh, is. a project? Yeah, no, it's a band, Mitch. I mean, what it, what what I did was I had this kind of. Um, for about the last two or three years, I, I make a lot of different records in different sort of genres too. And um, obviously with FM, it keeps me fairly busy. But I had this kind of dream to make a retro-style free bad company record because they basically were the two biggest influences on me sort of in, in that genre of music. So 
I wanted to go into a studio, play it live, just get the vibe, but not play to click tracks like everybody does now, and just get like a real in-your-face sounding blues rock album as they were made in the 70s. Um, so I put this to the record company. They they were like, well, what do you want to do? And um, funnily enough, I, I played with Simon Kirk way back in a band called Wildlife. Um, we were signed to Swan Song. When Bad Company was still going, many years ago when I was about 19, Yep. I had a call from Swan Song Records and Peter Grant, who managed Zeppelin and Bad Company, and he, he wanted to put me and my brother together with Simon to do an album. He'd heard some demos that we'd done, so go. I won't, I'll cut to the chase on this. I mean, that, so I knew Simon from way back, Simon Kirk, um, but I hadn't spoken to him for 25 years. Uh, and when I thought of doing a record like that, um, the record company boss said to me, do you think you could get Simon Kirk to play drums on it? Because... It would be amazing. So I just sent, I was on tour with FM at the time. We were doing a gig in Wales. So I sent an email to his management and within 15 minutes, Mitch, he phoned me back, you know, having not seen me for 20 some odd years, you know. So he just said, send me some songs through Steve, you know, and I'll have a listen. I sent three demos of the, the Lone Rider songs. I can't remember which three. And he just got back to me and said, I love this stuff. You know, I'd love to play on the record. So that's how it all began, really, Mitch. And then um, I know Chris Childs from Thunder. I know all the Thunder boys really well. We've kind of gone through all the same things. We were signed to the same label, FM, and, and uh, when they were Terror Plane years ago. Um, yeah, and so basically Chris was Chris when he thought he could play with Simon Kirk on a record because, once again, his biggest influences were Free and Bad Company also, with especially um, Andy Fraser. So... It was a real bucket list for him, standing in a recording studio, looking through the glass, and he's actually putting rhythm tracks down with Simon Kirk, you know. So it was just, a, it came together really quickly. Everybody loved the material so much, and I managed to get what I think was the best of the crop to play on the record. So I'm very proud of it. It came out exactly as I, I had it in my head, you know, which is, which is always nice. Yeah, and it turned out great. So I'm glad to hear, to hear that it's a band and it's not just a one-off. But okay, I had some other questions, but you mentioned Wildlife, so let me just go there for a second. That, that yep, second sure. album in 83, if you look at the lineup on there, you've got Phil Sousan on, mm -hmm. on bass. You've got, yep. of course, uh, your brother Chris. You've got uh, Simon, and it's produced by Mick Ralphs. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that album and, and working with, with Mick as, as a producer. And, you know, why was the, the, the shelf space or the, or the longevity of wild, wild si uh, sorry, Wildlife? Uh, I'm thinking Motley Crue all of a sudden. Uh, why, <laughs> why was that only sort of these two albums? Why didn't it go further? I mean, you had Swan Song, you had Peter Grant, you had the Led Zeppelin label, you had Mick Ralphs producing, Phil Su I mean... Everything pointed to the direction of this is, for the lack of a better word, a super group, and it should sort of tear it up through the 80s, and ultimately yeah. it didn't. Yeah. No, the thing, the, the whole thing with it was, I mean, Swan Song Records folded, sort of halfway through writing the second record. Um, Swan Song basically folded the label up as a working label, so we were, we were left labelless. We had a lot of interest, obviously, at that time because of who was in the band we had other deals off with us but then Simon always kind of made made it clear that if Bad Company or when Bad Company were going to go back out make another record and tour that would be then the wildlife thing would have to go on hold and that's exactly what happened those two things happened at the same time we'd 
written about four or five tracks for the second record, and um, we never really got to make it. You know, we never we demoed the songs, but never got to make it. And uh, at that time, I had a call from um, Merv and Pete asking me about, look, will I come down and have a listen to this this new thing they want to put together? So FM sort of formed. We about sort of shortly after, or even when I was still in talking to them about doing the second Wildlife album. So just circumstances really, Mitch, meant that we didn't make that second, that third record. You know, um, everybody sort of went on to do. I went to FM, Simon went back to Bad Company, and it just all kind of drifted apart. Even though we we got plans to make another record, you know, and. Um, as I say, working with Mick, a dream of mine. Um, he's a lovely guy, Mick. He's not very well at the moment, unfortunately, but he's a, a real good friend. And um, they were all great to me. I mean, if you think about it, I would, I would have been about probably 18 or 19 then, I think. And, to, you know, my heroes were Mott the Hoople, Bad Company, Free, and I got to play with and work with sort of some of my heroes at a very young age, which makes me a very lucky man, you know. So... It was great. I thought, you know, it was a dream for me working with those people at, at such a young age. So I really loved it. I loved that time, you know, in my life. And, and it's also good to see that Phil, like you, had this long extended career because that, that's very rare, especially, you know, when in a band like that. But uh, you mentioned Thunder and how you've shared similar experiences. So I, I want to ask you about uh, trying to get out of the UK because you look at FM, you look at Thunder, mm-hmm. you look at Status Quo bands that 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 could play Wembley Stadium quite frankly and yet in Canada it, 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 it hard to get to any notice what was it about the north american market that was challenging for fm i i've already spoken to to luke and and um and the guys in thunder about why it was challenging for them mm-hmm. but what what you know cuz uh, what did i see that you played the melodic rock fest a, a, fuck a, um, a few years ago andrew we and, did and, chicago yeah. yeah yeah and what i found amazing about that it said first time in north america and i'm like what 30 some years in first time in north uh-huh. america yeah yeah um very disappointing, probably the most disappointing thing in FM's career, to be honest, Mitch. We, um, it's a long story, but I'll, tr- I'll try and sort of cut it down. We, um, when we signed to the British label, they, they, were, they came, we did a showcase, they came, and we were the first signing to Portrait Records that were an American uh, subsidiary of CBS. Yeah, John Gladner. Um, that's it, yes. We signed to Portrait in the UK with the first signing, and it was like... Uh, well, a, a sort of a rod, a, a sort of a real tough time for us because all of a sudden America wanted to take over FM and take over the direction of where the band went. Um, but unfortunately, I mean, you've probably heard these stories many times before. The British label wouldn't let that happen because they signed us. So we got big American management. We went with um, we went with uh, Barrett Consolo at the time. Um, John Consolo manages the Eagles and things now, you know, and. John Barrack was our manager. He managed Survivor at the time. REO Speedwagon. So we had big management in America, too. And uh, lots and lots of interest. But this in-house war between the British side of the label and the American side of the label was basically what screwed things up for us. We had so much stuff planned. I came over to uh, CBS in L.A. and in New York and um, did lots of press. It looked like Frozen Heart was going to be a radio hit out there. 
Um, but this constant squabbling in in-house squabbling with the labels meant that we couldn't get it to happen. Even with John at the helm, it just never happened for us. And we had all sorts of tours offered and planned that never materialized. So as I say, if you ask me what the biggest disappointment is for me in my career, FM not getting a chance to break America when our music was so relevant would definitely have been it. You know, it's a big disappointment to us. No matter what we did, we couldn't, you know, we toured Europe and England extensively over and over again, back to back, but we could not get to America, you know, because of, and so, you know, in, in time, the American label just sort of said, okay, you keep them in. And we were, the only people that suffered were the band, really, you know. So it was a in-house squabbling and, and politics, really, that kept us out of America, you know. And that's disappointing. And and I I know when I talk to Canadian artists like uh, Larry Gowan, who was of course Gowan before Sticks and yeah. and Honeymoon Suite, they always talk about quote unquote sandboxing. How the the record companies decided, no, you're a Canadian artist, so we're not going to bother trying you out in London. We're not going to try. We're not going to try. You know, you in L.A. radio. We're just, you're a Canadian band and. Were you were you sandboxed as well? I mean, is was that the pro, is that the proper term? Without or? a doubt. Okay. Yep, without a doubt. I've never heard that term, but that sums it up really well. Um, they basically the, at the time wanted us to be the British Bon Jovi, you know, and so basically we toured Britain. We played well. We played with Bon Jovi. We did a slip and wet tour, and uh, we played with everybody. We 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 were the eternal big support band. We did every single tour from Status Quo to Gary Moore to Ario Speedwagon. We did dates with Foreigner on the Foreigner 4 tour. We did, we everywhere you went, you saw FM as the opening act, but always in the UK. And we just, I mean, the, the funny thing is, Mitch, since we've reformed, we've been back together now 11 years since the Reformation, we, um, we've discovered places. We now go all over the world, places like Greece, Spain, all over the all over the world, where we never played before because they just kept putting us out in the same places across the UK, where we've got big followings. You know, we we went to Greece for the first time about two or three years ago, and there were queues down the street. The gig sold out. Spain now, we go to Spain once, twice a year. The gigs sell out, and we we never even went there first time around. They never sent us there, you know. And um, we had no idea that we we'd had some hit records in Sweden. We didn't know about them. Nobody told us. <laughs> you know, it was like, no, no, you need to go out and do this tour in the UK again. You know, you've got to keep the uh, momentum going. And so, yeah, we were sandboxed beyond your wildest dreams. <laughs> but, you know, it really was uh, tough to get them to do anything other than put us out in the UK and certain parts of Europe, you know. Yeah, that, that's exceptionally disappointing. And, but I'll tell you this. Last night I was I was at a show. Uh, um, and, and a fan came up and said, oh, hey, Mitch, who, who are you interviewing next? And I said, oh, Steve Overland. And he goes, oh, FM, I love him. So you do have fans in Canada. People people do love you. But uh, let me let me just quickly get back to the, the Lone Rider album. How is this different from an FM album in terms of the way you approach it musically, the way you approach it lyrically, maybe even production-wise? Is it its own separate thing, or is it just sort of Steve singing under a different banner, if you know what I mean? No, it's definitely a separate thing, Mitch. I mean, as I say, this was um, my little baby, really, my dream to make this record. I knew exactly the style that I wanted to write the songs in, 
and Steve Morris, who's a co-writer with me, is the guitar player on the record. He's a great, great player and writer. Um, we had a meeting and we we briefed sort of briefed ourselves on what we were going for. Um, totally different process to writing for FM. I mean, I normally come up with ninety percent of the ideas for FM records and write them with with various people or on my own. This was um. A, a rough sketch of songs, we demoed them, and then the boys came in, Simon and Chris came in, did the rhythm tracks for Steve, and changed them around. It, it developed as a band, and that's what I wanted it to do. You know, we played the tracks live, we kept all the... Simon would do two takes, Chris would do two takes together, so you'd do two takes of each song, and then pick the best take, the way it used to be, you know, and... Um, not many overdubs. I didn't because FM records have the kitchen sink on. There's quite a lot of um, loops and modern stuff happening on. I didn't want any of that on this record. I wanted it stripped back to two tracks of rhythm guitar, you know, a bit of Hammond. Keep it very organic. The drums on the album. We got the same kit for Simon that he uses, used on all those old records. So an old Ludwig kit. Um, Chris brought down all his older basses. We knew exactly what the sounds we wanted, everything, just keeping it. One of my favorite records, the first Bad Company record, and I, I went into the studio and Chris Diada, the engineer, said, this is the drum sound I want. <laughs> I gave him the CD and he did it. It came out sounding as I wanted it to sound, where you can hear everybody's performance. You know, there's not loads of reverbs across things. It's the natural sound of the instruments and you can hear everybody's playing. And um, that's what I wanted to go for. You know, FM records are fantastic. To make. They take longer. We'll go in and we'll put drums down with bass and stuff, but then we'll probably just keep the drums and then go back and he'll redo the bass. It's a different process altogether, you know. Um, done to clicks because we're flying in loops everywhere and stuff like that on FM stuff. This was played live, so it will speed up and slow down a little. That's what I wanted. You know, the natural feel of how Simon plays the drums because he's such an incredible player. Um, and it gives you that a different dynamic totally to when you do things the way the other bands that I work with do them. So it was an idea that I had that I stuck to all the way through that, you know, hope so far with the, the way the album's been received seems to have come off. So I'm really, really proud of it, you know. Well, as you should be, and, and like I said, the, the 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 album came to me sort of mysteriously, just Lone Rider, and I was like, oh, okay, well, and I played it, and it was like, wow, so, you know, usually you, you play 30 seconds or 20 seconds of a track and go, okay, great, let me get to the, I played the whole thing through, and I went, who is this? This is great, and so it was it was good to see that it was you, and it was, you know, like, like I said just before the interview, I, I first heard your voice when you did this Whitesnake tribute years ago, yeah. and I just remember yeah. going, Wow, this this what a voice! I mean, as far as pure voice, you and Danny Bowes are just you. You two have got it. But let me ask you this: uh, totally unrelated, but tomorrow or in the next couple of days, my next show that I'm covering is Alan Parsons. You had a oh, chance, yeah. yeah. Love, yeah. I've got some great shows coming up. Brian Adams, Adam Pars, uh, uh, Alan Parsons, not Adam. That's a manager. Uh, yeah, Alan, it is. Yeah, <laughs> Alan Parsons and. Um, Peter Frampton, three back-to-back shows. How's that for wow. a nice weekend, right? But, wow, fantastic. Yeah. But you got yeah. to work with him on his on-air album. You you only did one track, but what was that experience like? Because when you think of musical genius, Alan Parsons, 
and maybe even Adam Parsons, the uh, manager for, for Thin Lizzy and Black Star Riders. Yeah. yeah, he's great, Adam. We know Adam well. Yeah, he's you know. a, a fabulous <laughs> chap. But, but you have to include Alan in the conversation of musical genius, right? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I remember I got that through an old manager of mine. He managed um, uh, he managed Alan at the time, and um, he played in my voice from years ago. And whilst I was there, I did a few studio things for him. He wanted to, to, to do a, a demonstration of a new compressor, and because of the way I sing sort of volume-wise and power, he sort of got me to do a few things whilst I was in his studio. But... His studio is amazing, Mitch. I mean, I went in this like you hear everything in quad. I mean, it's you know when he if you could picture him mixing a Pink Floyd record in there, it would blow your mind, you know. But it's um, it was a great experience. He's a really, really nice guy. Really easy to work with, and knows exactly what he wants, and just lets you do your thing. He, he just wants you to go in, and he's in he's hired you to do a job because he likes what you do anyway. And he just lets you get on with it. He's he's great. He's a great guy to work with, you know. And you know, I'm, I've been very lucky in my career that I've got to work with these people. It's, it was really, really great experience. And I like the track too that I did. It was a great song, you know. Yeah, it, it was a great song. So, all right, you mentioned uh, getting back together in 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 2007. So let's talk about the the breakup. You you start off in what 83 84 80, yeah 84 we formed yeah, yeah. right and, yeah. and you go all the way to 1995 now we we talk a lot about how nirvana took over the radio and how the music times was changing and rock and roll was sort of on the Ooh. outs or or that kind of rock was on the outs what sort of got to the point where you just said ah oh, the hell with it we 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 can was it just a frustration that you weren't getting played? Is it the whole North American thing where you're just not breaking through and getting to that next level? Is it just you can't stand the guys in the band? Where do you go, okay, it's time to move on? Well, it, it, it's all of not The only thing that didn't apply was not being able to stand the people in the band. We've, we've remained friends all the way through. We, we split purely because you've just summed it up, really, Mitch. We were getting nowhere. We could have carried on playing all the same venues in the UK and selling tickets, but in real terms, we'd come to a standstill. We were just sort of treading water. You know, we you couldn't get our records on the radio anymore. You, you basically, we would have been carrying on and cheating the fans a little, I think. And that's the way we felt because we, so we, we actually thought, why don't we stop for a couple of years? and see what happens, and then get back together. That was the initial plan. Um, we all partners, friends, but careers took over. We all went off. I then started making, sort of making loads of the records, doing sessions, doing commercials, doing all sorts of things. So my career carried on just in a different sort of way. So it took a lot longer. Andy, the guitar player, moved to Malta, so I didn't really see much of Andy. Um, and... Just circumstances meant we were apart for a lot longer than we we'd initially wanted to be. We, you know, we didn't get back together for ten years, but um, I think we waited the right amount of time. I think um, we got back together when people were a bit sick of sort of reality television. You know, these these music shows like X Factor and things like that. I think people wanted to see a live band that could play live with a with a proper show again. You know, um, and when we came back, we had no idea that we were going to be as popular as we were. We thought people would have forgotten about us because it had been a long time. So the initial show was just a tryout, really, just to see how it went, and it sold out. So people from all over the world. So it was a, 
it was a bit like shock. It was like, wow, we need to probably do something else. If it, we didn't know what it would be, would it be more gigs? Would it be, you know, a new record? At that time, we didn't know. We were just in shock. So we, we went away for like two or three weeks and didn't speak to each other and just thought about what we were going to do. And um, agencies started coming out of the woodwork, our old agents, um, record companies started to try and contact us about, were we planning on making a record? And all of a sudden, it all became very real again. And before we knew it, we got a future. We had plans to do things and festivals offered to us. And um, that was it. Here we are, sort of 11 years on. You know, it's, it's been amazing. It's been great to be able to do it again. It, it really has been. While, while you were away from the band, did, did you miss the band? You know, I know you did some other projects and you were doing, uh, like you said, the commercials and all that, but it's not being the lead singer of your own band or the band. Did no, you, every no. couple of years, started going, uh, like how, how, I know you got busy, but, but was, there a, was there a part of you missing in those, in those years? Yeah, yes, definitely. I mean, you have to, being in a band is... If you all get along, there's there's nothing better because you've got that thing about your band. When you're on stage, we've just done some huge festivals. We've just done Grass Pop and Hellfest with White Snake, Def Leppard and Kiss. You know, we've just done some huge festivals. And it's that thing with your band. When you've been together as long as we have, you are kind of, there's something happens when you go on stage. You know, you're on autopilot. You know exactly what the other members of the band are going to do. And it doesn't matter how big or small the audience is, you just know what, what you're there to do. And, and the band have great fun. We have great fun playing in this band. So that comes across to the audience. And, you know, when you, when you go out there with, with something where it's not a band, a lot of the onus is on you. You tend to, these things I was doing, I was using different musicians. So you do a record, then you use different musicians on the next one. So you never really develop a sound, if you know what I mean. The sound is you. You know, um, so, yeah, I did miss it. I did miss it. I mean, as time went on, I got more used to not being a part of it. So my life outside of FM, making solo records, making records for the people doing sessions, became what my career was. So when we decided to get back together, I had no idea what the band were going to sound like. Would the music be relevant? When we played the songs, would they sound dated? We really didn't know, you know, so... We went into rehearsals and they didn't, <laughs> you know, it came together really quickly and we had a real great time playing together again. So, you know, you do miss it. It's when, as I say, we've been together now for so long that um, we just know what each other's going to do. We know exactly how, how to do, how everything runs with FM, on stage, in the studio, everything. So it's that familiarity that you, you probably miss. You're going in there and starting a new project with new players and you know that it will probably be the only record you'll make with those players, you know, which is why the Alone Rider album is a band. We're planning on doing some dates with it because I think we have to. It's such a great record. It would be a shame for it just to be a project, you know. Yeah, well, I agree. And I, I think we got to somehow figure out a way to get Lone Rider, Thunder, and FM on some kind of North American package. <laughs> I'm there. I'm right. there. You just tell me. Yeah. When, when to come, I'll be there, yeah? <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, call, we'll call Adam Parsons and see. No. Um, just real quick, since you talked about developing a sound, when you do get back together and you start making records, uh, and of course the last one, Atomic Generation, came out uh, last mm. year, Yeah. how conscious are you of 
the classic sound. You know, you look at bands like U2 and Madonna and stuff, they they change with almost every album. And then you look at a band like ACDC, doesn't matter what year it's from, you hear the riff, you hear the vocal, you go, yep, that's ACDC. Mm, um, yeah. w- were you conscious of, of, of that? Or since it really is sort of, you know, FM part two or 2.0, were you freer to create and, and push the boundaries and push the sound? Or were you very conscious of, no, the fans like FM to be this, let's give them this? Yeah, well, I mean, there's an element of everything, I think, in, in the way we approach things now. I think, obviously, technology has, has moved on. You can do so much more. Um, and we're always aware that we have to be competitive with what's out there today. So we will try different things in the studio. We have no set thing. When we write an album, Mitch, we have no set thing saying, right, what we need is this song, that song, that song in style. We just write 20 songs and then we'll pick the album. So there's no conscious sort of, we know what we need. We need a song like that girl. We need a song like this. And we don't really want, that was our sound back then. I mean, now the band sounds so much different. You know, you've got... Uh, we've got Jim in. Jim's been with us now for 11 years since we reformed. So he's the longest serving guitar player now. And Jim's 20 years younger than us. He's always coming sort of up with things saying, we need to do this, listen to this. And so we try and listen to new music a lot, you know, not necessarily rock music. And we'll get an idea from a pop record or a dance record. That's a really great sound. Let's try and use that on one of our things or a loop or something like that just to give us a little bit of a different sound. But... There is that conscious thing where, you know, for some, on the last record, people said that basically there were lots of tracks on the last record that were reminiscent of old FM, things like Golden Days and things like that, a bit more AORE, but with a modern touch. And that wasn't deliberate. I think that's just basically what FM sounds like. I and mean, sometimes you'd go back to what you did years ago in the writing, you know, and um, we, we have no conscious thing when we go on a studio sound right we've got to make a sound like this it's just what the band sound like you know and um that's what comes out at the end of the records and we 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 sort of try and we even do songs now we've got no record company interfering in what we do anymore so we tend to just make the record and deliver it to frontiers and they're great they, they give us so much support um and so we don't we're not held to any particular style we can come up with a, a, a poppier tune, a heavy tune, even a tune that might be a bit Americana, country rock stuff. You know, we, we don't have any boundaries anymore, whereas before it was like, back in the first time around, it's like, no, no, you need to be more like this. You've got to do this. You've got to do this song. But now we're in control of our own destiny. It, with touring, recording, everything, we do it all ourselves. And, we, and it, it's great to have that freedom. It really is. And, and you're right, Frontiers does a, a great... Uh, job. If it wasn't for them, uh, the scene probably would be dead by now. So they have really injected some some great blood into into the melodic rock scene, for the lack of a better word. Now, I'll ask you this, and before we wrap up, you you have mentioned that FM uses, you know, the the, the full studio with the loops and and the and flying stuff in. How do you sort of uh, deal with that in a live setting? Do do you change the songs and just play them in a more raw live kind of thing? Or are you, you know, do you use enhancements or or backing tapes? I know it's become a big issue in 2019 that this band and that band, and I see nothing wrong with it. But but is there, so I guess, what's your 
I don't want to say policy, but not a great word, but what's your, what's your take on backing tracks and, and performing live using enhancements? Well, I think you have to do both. I think to replicate things like Black Magic, this first track on the last record, we open with that. Without the big loops, it simply wouldn't sound like Black Magic. So Pete, our drummer, plays to a click track on those songs. Some we have to use loops because, you know, and that, if you want to call it an enhancement, they are just this percussion. It may be a backward snare drum. It's all the effects, a bit like the sort of thing Def Leppard do, really. They'll just play with Def Leppard. They have all of those big Mott Lang reverse snare drums are all on the back. You know, you, you, there's certain songs that we have to have those loops on to make the songs authentic, to sound right. But then the old stuff, like Your I Belong to the Nights, Fat Girls, all of that stuff, we don't use anything. We play them as a band because that's how we recorded those songs, and they have no loops on them. So we, the tracks that need it, we, we use it. You know, if there's a track that's got a bass synth on it, like, say, Top It Out, well, Burning My Heart Down, um, we'll have that bass synth on because it's part of the overall sound of that song. So, yes, we do. I'm, I've got no problem saying that we, that we use quite a lot of percussive loops. We'll, there'll be a backward snare drum every now and again that will come through, but that's what makes those songs sound authentic, you know, and the older stuff, as I say, we never used any of that. So that's all played totally live. You know, we there's no lead vocals on tape or anything like that, Mitch, I can assure you. <laughs> no, we sing everything. All right, you know, well, but, um, right, and I said enhancements, the, I didn't say cheating. Right, there's a big difference. Yeah. Big difference. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yes, I guess we use enhancement on the songs that we feel sort of need it, or, or where it features heavily on the records. I mean, if you listen to Black Magic, there are so many sort of loops and percussive things that offbeat things that give it the groove that it has. So without that, you wouldn't have that groove in the song that it has, you know. So there are there are a few. Yeah, there's probably four or five songs in our set that we have to use various loops and things on to give it the correct sound. Well, fair enough. Uh, and and I'll finish with with sort of these three rapid uh, fire questions. Uh, first off, last year you also did something with a work of arts Robert Saul and Groundbreaker yep. again on Frontiers. Was that a one off, or is that something where Frontiers is going to have you do? another project down the road? Well, we haven't talked about it, Mitch. We've talked, but it was a pleasure working with Robert. He's a real gentleman and a genius musician. So, you know, he, he, he's a great writer. So I would love to do some more writing with Robbie. He's brilliant and such a great guy to work with. So, you know, that's, that's uh, the jury's out on that one. I've, I've been so busy with other things, we've not really got round to anything else yet. But you never know. You never know. Uh, and then FM, uh, Atomic Generator again last year. Last year was very busy for you, which is great. Uh, <laughs> what's sort of the future of FM? Do, do you sort of just keep doing what you've been doing for the last sort of decade, uh, album tour, album tour, and or are we done making new albums and now we're just going to focus on touring? What sort of the next three, four years look like for FM? Uh, pretty much the same, Mitch, really. We're, we're now three quarters of the way through a new album. Um, which is sounding great. So we're interspersing. We're doing the, all the big festivals this year, um, probably about 12 all over Europe. So, you know, we'll be doing the same, you know, and we really, really are working with the management on coming out to America. And if we could get to Canada, I want to do South America. We're trying to spread the net. We want to spread the net wider because we think everywhere we go, as I said, there's a market for FM and there is a following. 
You know, you had to look at when we went to Chicago, the people that came were fanatical. It was like, at last, you're in America, you know, and I love America, and, I, you know, I'm, I've actually never been to Canada. Never been. And it's a beautiful, everybody that goes, I've got people, friends that go there all the time, they've got relatives there, and everybody just says how beautiful a country it is. I know that in Canada you've got great taste in music, I know that, and I know all the great bands that come out of that country, so I'd, just spreading the net anywhere that we haven't been to, I want to go to. So there's still a lot of things for FM to do in the future, and I want to do all of them. You know, so we're, we're still, we've got no plans to stop. We love doing this. We have a great time doing it. And just because we're a little bit older, it doesn't mean that we still haven't got new things to do. So we'll be carrying on making records and touring and hopefully coming to places we've never been before. Well, uh, yeah, and I'll uh, I'll put a I'll put a word in at the M3 festival for you to see if we can get you over here. But uh, you know, somebody's mentioned that to us before, and that would be fantastic. Oh, I'd it, love to do it. it's you such know. a great festival. And if I if I can uh, if I if I manage to, to to make it happen, I will I will send you an email or a text and say hey. Fantastic. But uh, but just real qu- and by the way, speaking of Canada, two of your bands have used Canadian bands name FM. There was an, a Canadian FM band and uh, yeah. Yeah. Wildlife. There was a Canadian wildlife. Well, well. There, was there? <laughs> yes, there was. <laughs> I've got a record of stealing bands' names that come from Canada. Then, have I? <laughs> yes. In fact, I'll, I'll go. I'll go do a Google search to see if Lone Rider has a Canadian. Yeah, program. yeah I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Lone Rider Canada, probably, aren't they? You yeah. know, so yeah, you'll have yeah, to be so Lone Rider um, UK. But well, anyway, as, as you know, Mitch, I mean, FM had to be called FM UK in America because of the Canadian FM. You know, because they're quite a well-known band, weren't they? So. Yeah, you know, we, they were. We, we sort of, we'd already built a name for ourselves in a little bit of a name in Europe, so we couldn't change the name. So, you know, it had to be FM UK, which looked a bit odd on an album cover, but, you know, it's what it is, you know, and they had the name first, so they, they deserve to keep it. You yeah. Know? And I have yeah. to say, uh, you know, when you when you look for at stuff on on Google, it sort of geo tags it or or geo specific. And so I was looking up FM, and everything kept coming up this Canadian band. I was like, "You're not helping me, Google. You are not helping me, Google. <laughs> this is not what I need." So I finally looked up FM UK, and I went, "Ah." Here's all the stuff you know. It's like, oh, okay, thank God. Anyway, uh, let's <laughs> yeah. remind the folks that Lone Rider Attitude is out now. It came out in, I guess, April. And yeah. uh, folks, it is spectacular. And, and truly, I, I get sent a lot of albums and I was like, man, uh-huh, whatever. And I played it and I was captivated. The, the musicianship, and listen, Simon Kirk, you can't go wrong. Steve on the boy, Chris Child, I mean, you can't, you can't go wrong with the players. It is terrific. Go listen to it. Go buy it. Steve, as we say in Montreal, uh, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. This Thank great. you so much, mate. Been a pleasure. Uh, yes. Fantastic. And we will get you over to get to, uh, to North America. I, I will make it a mission. I'm waiting. Just let me know. I'll be there. Okay? Thank you, sir. <laughs> Cheers. Bye-bye now. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com.